The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone, and this is the second episode of Handbrake Off, our new weekly Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, I'm joined in the studio by two of The Athletic's writers covering all things Arsenal every week. That's Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas, also known as Gunnerblog. Hello, guys. All right. Hello. Hello. Uh, uh, and Anders Limpar is there, is there as well. Hello, Anders. Yeah, hi. Straight from Sweden. He's straight from Sweden. Our original super Swede. This is with apologies <laughs> to Stefan Schwartz and Kim Kallström. Um, and because yeah. uh, normally, Anders, uh, last week we, we had Lee Dixon uh, on the show, but he's now lying in a darkened room after watching our defensive display against Norwich, <laughs> which we will get yeah. to. Uh, and we want to talk to you, Anders, about new signings and about our new Swedish manager or interim manager, of course, Freddie Lundberg. Before we get to that, um, I want to ask Amy and James. Um, we, we like to get going something a bit lighter, right? Uh, so we need was, all the light we can get at the moment. Well, we do. We, we uh, right now with handbrake off, we're, we're averaging one manager per week, which is which is quite impressive. I feel uh, I'm very looking much looking forward to seeing who we got next week as well. Um, we had this idea about out-of-context Arsenal, places that you've you've met players which have not been at the training ground or, you know, come on the way to the training ground or at the game. So, uh, James, we'll start with you. A little out-of-context Arsenal story you might have for us? Well, I'm from a place in Hertfordshire called Boreham Wood. Uh, very proud of it, which I shouldn't be the if wood. you've been there. The wood itself, I yeah. used to go to the wood regularly. Right, there you go. I apologise. And um, <laughs> about a year or so ago, maybe slightly further than that, I was going there to visit my mum and I took the train up from King's Cross to Boronwood train station. And who should I see there but Matteo Genduzzi alighting onto <laughs> Boronwood High Street. Uh, now, I think, I say out of context, I think he was probably going to get a cab from there to the training ground. Rather. Yeah. So maybe we can infer from this he's not a driver. Or oh, I don't know. But he was on the train, certainly, with a friend of his and uh, hopped in the cab. Off he went. Amy, have you got one that's more exciting than that? <laughs> well, it's not massively exciting. I, I, I live a bit closer than the wood. Uh, I live in Highbury. And a few years ago, I was just coming out to, uh, to go to a game and I noticed an extremely nice car pulling up outside on my fairly normal residential street and who should come out but Alex Song with his wife and very small children. They were getting buggies out the boot. There was all sorts of paraphernalia. They looked at the signs, you know, the residents' parking signs and there was a lot of confusion. I was watching this from... Uh, from nearby. So I did the only decent thing and went and got some visitors' vouchers. <laughs> Wandered over in my best uh, schoolgirl French. Hang on, visitors' vouchers? Oh, yeah, to, visitors' to... vouchers to park. Right. To park oh, okay. legally without right. getting a ticket. Because right. I knew that the, the Song family were, were set for a, a parking ticket any second now if they were going to leave their car there on a match day. You stopped So I gave song. him uh, the vouchers. I filled them out for him. I told him what to do and uh, sent them off on their way to the match. They were, uh, And there you go. So that that's my wow. out-of-context answer. But I've got a really good one. I'll tell super fast because um, we don't want to keep Anders, which is not mine, but my friend Eugene's, who went on the pre-season tours of Scandinavia, which Anders will remember back in the day, uh, yeah. being a George Graham yeah. favourite. I think it was 1989. Uh, he went. There was about eight Arsenal fans went to Norway to support the team. And uh, because they were in some tiny village somewhere, ended up all the, 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 the players and the few fans that were there at the same nightclub. My pal Eugene went to go and relieve himself and uh, one of the Arsenal players was doing the same job next to him in the urinals and 
was obviously singing while doing so and uh, spent that, that moment going, Nigel Winterburn, Nigel Winterburn, which is a story he likes But telling. it wasn't Nigel Winterburn. It wasn't, it was one of his colleagues. So I, that would be a little bit weird if we did that. Uh, anyway, uh, this is the Handbrake Off podcast uh, brought to you by The Athletic. We have, as we've said, uh, Anders Limpar on the line. Um, Anders, thanks for joining us, by the way. We appreciate it. Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, no we, and by the way, no social media. Anders has no social media and fair play. As a player, would you want to be on social media, do you think, especially with the stick that they get nowadays? Oh, that, that's hard to see because you're on the spotlight uh, so much from from, uh, from everybody, it's not just from the press. So uh, everybody can look at you and uh, wherever you go, as you talk about, and, and before you can hide a little bit more than you can nowadays. So that's why I'm... I'm not on social media because uh, some of us uh, need our privacy, and and uh, but some of us doesn't because they they want to be on social media every day, uh, and that's not for me. Anders, we can't really start without going straight into uh, Swedish Arsenal, and uh, with Freddie Jungberg now taking over uh, as interim coach. Just wondering what your perspective is on that, how it's going down in Sweden. Are people surprised that someone like Freddie is? in this road of, of, of coaching and, and, and suddenly in this spotlight? Uh, no, I'm, I'm not surprised and uh, the Swedes are not surprised because uh, Fred has always been a leader on the pitch, off the pitch. So uh, this is just, just a, a straight line for him to be a manager. I met him uh, a couple of years ago when we played a, like, a charity game at uh, the Emirates against Milan. He, he said even then, uh, I, want, I would like to be a manager for Arsenal. And this is like three, four years ago. And now he is. So Arsenal have to decide if they're going to keep Freddie or bring in another high-profile manager. If they keep him, I mean, give him some time because he uh, hasn't got the best of a team when it comes to confidence and and everything. So uh, just give him time. And time is nothing that the manager have have nowadays in the Premier League. He's an unbelievable assistant manager. And he has to prove himself to be a manager, but uh, give him time if he's going to take over. Uh, I think you need uh, a little bit more experience. But yeah. uh, as I know, as I know, Freddie, he is a perfect man for the job. He has done it, and he is is clever with, with the tactics. So, so give him time. And as you, you mentioned, he's coming into a difficult situation. I mean, how difficult a job do you think this is? The, with the squad that he's working with, how big a task does Freddie face turning this round? Yeah, it, it, it's the biggest task you can have in, in, the, in the job to, to manage uh, Liverpool, Man United and Arsenal. And nowadays, even Chelsea and, and, and City. Uh, I mean, every, the whole world is looking, uh, the whole world is, is looking at you. So... You need uh, to be instant uh, success. You know, you, you. I mean, the fans want want uh, the team to win. Uh, the board wants you to win. So it's it's probably <laughs> the worst job you you can have and the best job you can have. If you're successful, I mean, it must be a wonderful life. But if you are or in doubt, so you lose a few games. I mean. That, that that must be the, the toughest job in the world. 
Mm. I mean, I, look, first of all, Anders, I like the fact that you named five big clubs and you didn't name Tottenham. So well done there. <laughs> we really appreciate that. Um, yeah. I mean, let's be fair, I though. I don't see that much of the big clubs. <laughs> you can he's, come again. He's coming, he's coming on again, exactly. Um, and I mean, let's be fair, though. He wouldn't have got the job if Arsenal were in a, the position they perhaps should be in. If they were in the top four and flying along, Unai Emery would still be in charge. Uh, I mean, are there anything? is there anything specific about it that you look at and think maybe Arsenal need to, to work on that a little bit? The whole game in general. I mean, everything from, from the defence to the, to, to the offence and, and uh, the team spirit in the dressing room and, and run for each other, run for the manager, everything. I mean, I, I think what, from what I've seen, we have uh, lacked that li- little bit in, in yeah. the last few years uh, when it comes to, to produce, win the games in the, in the league. Uh, so uh, I think we need some somebody like Freddie or or another high profile manager to to start over all over again to to bring the team spirit to the dressing room. I can't see one leader in this team uh, nowadays. Like like we had Tony and and Freddie had uh, Vieira and so on. So I can't see uh, a leader and and to put Aubameyang as a captain. That's a weakness in in my eyes because he's not the he's one of the best players we have, but he's not certainly not a captain. Uh, so we we need some strong guy who are a proper captain, if you know what I'm saying. Who who would you choose if you know looking at the squad now? If you had to pick somebody, who do you think's best fitted? Oh, Zaka. <laughs> oh no, obviously not because uh, you can't no. do that to, to to the fans. Uh, that was disgraceful, really. But. Uh, before that, I would have said yes, uh, but uh, nowadays I'm not sure. Actually, I, I'm not sure we have a, a strong leader like that. We have unbelievable players, but we don't have a, a leader like we had with Tony Adams. Uh, yeah. his, his word was 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 Arsenal, you know, and we we lack a little bit of that nowadays. Yeah, I think that is part of the problem, isn't it? Mm. That, that, that lack of leaders. I think we've all identified it. We wanted to ask you, Anders, about Pepe. I'll do seventy-two million pounds of those going to be paid for for the next five years, possibly when he's not even yeah. at the club yeah. anymore. Pepe turns yeah. up, uh, you know, a winger on a big fee. Uh, you must mm. relate to that. I mean, do you look at what's going on with him and think maybe they could have handled that better? Uh, I'm not sure. I have, I have, I had uh, big expectations when he arrived. He is like we have had great wingers over the over the years with Overmars and Perez and and so on. Uh, so. Uh, I thought he. Oh, hang on, he, this is the man who who uh, who's going to do it for us. But to to play in the Premier League, it, it's it's quite a hard job, you know, to fit in straight away. Yet again, give him time because he's just a young boy, and uh, probably they don't have time uh, nowadays when it comes to 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 be successful. But uh, in his case, I want to give him some more times because he, he's he's a good prospect and he's going to be a great player for Arsenal over the years. Anders, can I take you back to 1990? We just had the World Cup in Italy. You've been playing in Serie A with Cremonese. Arsenal come mm-hmm. along and you arrive uh, in England as a, a, a very exciting winger. Listeners, if you were too young, check out some highlights of Anders Limpo. He's an absolutely sensational player to watch and instrumental mm-hmm. in Arsenal becoming mm-hmm. champions in his first season. Anders, what mm-hmm. was it like walking into that dressing room? I think I'm right in saying you were the only foreign player at the time who was not English or, or, or um, British or from Ireland. Yeah. How did you find that in those times? 
What, what, yeah, what was we interesting were, to we you? Were, yeah, we were a few, actually. It was uh, Glenn Hives and um, John Melby playing for Liverpool. Lars Elderstrup, I, rem- I recall from, uh, I remember from uh, Luton. Uh, Ronnie Rosenthal, an Israel boy from playing for Liverpool. So we were a handful, maybe 10, five of us were playing. Uh, but bringing, bringing back three years before that, I was on trial for Liverpool for, for three weeks with, um, with Kenny Daglish and, and uh, I had a contract lying in front of me actually and uh, I couldn't get a working permit back in the days because we were not part of the EU. <laughs> so I, I had, I, Here we are again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I had uh, three, I had three uh, uh, caps and I needed ten caps, otherwise I wouldn't I would have been playing for, for Liverpool 87 to 90. So I know a little bit of, of, of that playing style from, from back in the days, from that three weeks. So I knew a little bit what I was expecting to, to do. Uh, so that, that was a good three weeks for me to, to get straight into the English football. But yet again, it was very, very tough. Uh, the game was like twice as fast as, as it is now. The kicks were flying around. So... And I, I came from Italy then, uh, where there was much slower, no tackles at all. So it was like for me to, to, to get into the jungle like a, like a lamb and, and fighting with lions, you know, if, if you know what I'm saying. It was, it was tough, but I knew anyway what, what I was expecting. But you were joining a better team, weren't you? That's the point. We, I mean, we've just been talking about Pepe and how he's joining a team that is struggling, really, a little yeah. bit. Whereas yeah. you, you came yeah. into a team with, as you say, leaders in the team. They yeah. won the title, yeah. what, a couple of years before. And, and so yeah. that's a slightly different thing. I guess you would, they'd look at you and go, you know what we're expected to do here, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I came to a, a great, great, great team, you know, where... Uh, we probably had four or five players playing for England back yeah. in the days. Uh, so, and me coming playing for for Sweden, and we won eighty nine. And uh, George Graham, he wanted three players: uh, a goalkeeper, uh, a centre half, and 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 a, and a winger. And he got that. So uh, then his dream dream team was was made. It was easy for me to play on the wings because I've done that my whole life. And, and uh, it's, it's all due to, to my teammates, actually, because uh, we were such a tight team uh, and had a strict playing style of football. So it was very, very easy to get into to it straight away because they were so friendly to me and they were such a good football player. So I was lucky to just be in that team, really. Do you have a, a, a favourite Arsenal moment, looking back, Anders? Is there something that you remember clearly? I mean, that fight oh, yeah, at Old right. Trafford was pretty special. <laughs> yeah, it was, obviously. Uh, my, my first goal uh, ever for Arsenal against Chelsea uh, at, uh, at Highbury. That's a good uh, memory. Obviously, when, when we beat Spurs 9-3 in the FA Cup semi-final, that was that's a good memory. And the last day of the season, we uh, we beat Coventry six one. That's my first hat trick in, in in the Premier League. Uh, so uh, there were a few. I mean, uh, special moments to win the league, obviously, and, and the FA Cup and so on. But uh, when it when it comes to to games, special games like that, probably to beat Liverpool away one 0 when Merson scored oh. back in ni- oh. back in ninety nine, because that was such a important game for us you know so uh, I would probably take that one 
It's interesting because that's just that spirit, that Arsenal spirit that you started off talking about at the beginning of the conversation. Yeah. A game like that was mm. absolutely the epitome of that. And yeah. as also somebody mentioned Liverpool at Highbury in 92 and uh, saying that it was that your favourite goal. Uh, Mark Mann oh, yeah. on Twitter was asking me about that as well. So I thought I'd just pass that one on. Is that a good memory? Yeah, obviously. That, that's, a, that's a hell of a goal, actually. And, uh, <laughs> but it's... It, it's, it's I mean, you have to bear with me now. It's easier to do that than it looks like. Um, uh, is it? It's easy for you to say. Yeah, it is. It, it sounds funny. I mean, every everybody in the Premier League nowadays can shoot from 40, 50 yards like, uh, and lob it like that. I mean, that everybody can do that. But, but in a game, in a high-profile game against Liverpool and in such an important game, it makes it look like a wonderful goal. And obviously it was, but in my opinion, it was easier to do it than it looked like. I'm just imagining Squadron Mustafi doing that right now, and I just can't get it in my head. Um, <laughs> we've been—I mean, Amy yeah. brought up that fight at Old Trafford, right? And and of course, we got two, docked two points, and the FA weren't very very impressed. But it, it did provide a bond with the fans, I think. And we wanted to ask you about the way that the fan base is at the moment and how it seems a little bit fractured and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of togetherness. Do you think that's one of the main things that Freddie has to do is bring the fans and the players back together? Yeah, because uh, we are divided a little bit. I mean, uh, players like Ozil, uh, he's not popular. He's one of the best we have. Uh, Shaka is obviously not popular, but because what he yeah. what he did, and so on, and everybody hates Mustafi, and so on and so on. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's 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 hard, you know, when a team like Arsenal haven't haven't got success. I mean, it's easy to pick out a few players here and there, and then the most important thing is the spirit in the in the dressing room. I think we need to to get back to basics, you know, to run for each other and, and start from there, you know, because we, we definitely have a great team, but uh, we're not there at the moment because everybody wants to go there and there and, and leave and, and go where you can earn a, another billion or whatever. So we need the team spirit back in the dressing room yeah. from, from now. Can, can Freddie, you know, is that something Freddie can do? I thought it was interesting hearing his his name was sung in the first 10 seconds of the game at Norwich. There was a, he came yeah. individually onto the pitch at the end and went to see the fans. And I think that's something he's really trying to do is feel that sense of spirit and connection and, and build something where you, you, it's probably a lot easier to do with fans than with players, maybe. Yeah, but if it's one man who can do it, it's Freddie Youngberg because yes. he, he was one of the best players and he was one of the, most hard-working player as well. So he had it all already, and uh, he was so concerned with the, with the team spirit for the Sweden national side and and for Arsenal. So he knows exactly what to do to to get the the spirits back again. So in that case, he is definitely the, the right man for the job to to get the the spirit back again and and to get the the lads together. Uh, so so I would say yes to that question. Uh, Anders, it's been great to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks, Anders. See you, Anders. Anders, Anders Limpar there. Bye-bye. Bye. Scorer of easy Bye-bye. goals, as he said. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a shock. By the way, there was one thing that he said. Uh, George Graham, he said, wanted a goalkeeper, a centre-back and a winger. And that's what he bought. 
It just simpler times, weren't mm, they? I mean, mm. this is, you know, I mean, listen, I like Nicola Pepe. I think he's great and we want to talk more about him. But is that actually what we needed? A £72 million pound winger? Well, not when you look at the defence. But but even when you talk about he wanted a goalkeeper, a centre-back and a, and, and a winger, he had John Lukic, who at the time, when you look when you look back, was perfectly popular, respected goalkeeper Blind for the John, league. We used to call him <laughs> perfectly respected. Yeah. Right, okay. But in any case, it was quite unpopular decision actually when when David Seaman came in. Yes. But George looked at the situation and thought, okay, here's what we've got, but this guy's the best, and I want the best. And he went and went and took a strong decision and broke the transfer record, I think, at the time for a goalkeeper. And David Seaman went on to become. You know, absolutely iconic at a the legend. Club. Yeah. A legend. And by the way, uh, uh, James, you spent, you, you do this little sort of video message after each game. Yeah. What you were talking about this week, interesting enough, was Burnt Leno uh, and, yeah. and how he was absolutely outstanding. And it gets lost a little bit with Aubameyang scoring the goals and all the other stuff going on at Arsenal. But Burnt Leno is, is outstanding at the moment. Yeah, I think he, he runs Aubameyang close, really, for Arsenal's player of the season so far. Some of the saves he's made, two saves he made against Norwich were absolutely blinding. One, uh, just after we went to 2-2 there was that one low down to his left and then the other one which deflected off Torreira and he managed to reposition himself turn around the corner I think he's a fantastic young goalkeeper and another another gift from Sven Mislinta and just imagine how much better he might be with a working defence in front of him I don't know you know know it would help I mean he's facing he's He's facing a lot of practice a a, a ton of shots but you know if he's able to just maybe relax that a little bit more and have that security of a, of, a, of a really solid defence in front of him, then it, then it gives better platform. In I, the end, it's like he's, it's the Alamo. I, I mean, I know um, what you mean about him having lots of practice. I, mm. I mean, I called him the, the, the German Shea Given the other day because <laughs> Shea Given was playing for Great Newcastle. Shot stopper, yeah. Absolutely amazing shot stopper because he had 100 a game. And he has had, uh, he conceded, but we only uh, let them have 15 shots at the weekend, which Progress. is a win. Well done, <laughs> Arsenal. Nice work. I think we even had more shots than the opponent. Incredible. Uh, but yeah, I think <laughs> when a goalkeeper under a lot of pressure and coming under fire making a lot of saves you sort of expect them to make the odd big gaff you know you'd think that would tell eventually but I can't really remember doing anything like that this season I think he's barely put a foot or, or a glove wrong so far We were talking about I mean Anders Limpar they're talking about captains um, and he said he didn't think uh, Aubameyang Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang should be captain but I think when he was then going, when we then said who is going to be captain he went um, I don't know there are no real leaders in that dressing room, are there? But is that one of the reasons why, in in this day and age, you the majority of clubs either operate with one of these shared leadership groups, as uh, mm-hmm. Unai Emery famously um, polled around for? Uh, but also, I think people like to, like to consider, you know, you've got strong leaders in the team, and, and the captaincy becomes more of a sort of almost a a gesture. I don't think, you know, we fantasise about sort of Tony Adams with, with the armband and that sort of tub thumping sort of screaming, shouting, grabbing people and putting them against the dressing room wall sort of style. But it's just not really what happens anymore. Well, how and many I, I think if there's there? enough strong people who are, who are well organised and who are vocal, then I don't, I don't know how important it is anymore. Is that what they're talking about, spine? Is that when they, they talk about spine and you look at the great teams and the spines that they've got and, and there is a what you'd like to think of as a captain through the team. There's one in goal, there's one in the centre of defence, there's one in the centre of midfield and there's one up front. And maybe that's what 
they need as a minimum. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, we, we look to t- characters like Tony Adams, but I'm just not sure how many players of that ilk there are anymore. And if you go around the big clubs, it's sometimes difficult to even remember who is the captain at Manchester United, who is the captain at Liverpool. You know, it's not, it doesn't come off the tip of your tongue the is way it would have done Henderson, the 10 years ago. Just out of I, th- I believe so. He doesn't even play every game. No. Um, you know, Manchester United <laughs> oh, yeah. until last summer it was Antonio Valencia so you know I don't think it, we're in a time where are, there are these kind of iconic figures even your Gerrards your Terrys they're sort of not there anymore uh, but I do think you're right there is a different way of leadership and actually in some ways Patrick Vieira was more kind of one of those players who led by example and if you look at that Liverpool side look at someone like Virgil van Dijk he's leading by example Fabinho in yeah. field it's by example yeah. it's the quality of player that speaks mm. for itself well, I mean, he's organised. I mean, let's say Virgil van Dijk, True. he's organising the defence, isn't he? I mean, he is essentially the captain of that defence. He tells them where to go. Robertson and Arnold go where he tells them to go. And that, we don't have anyone who does that. By the way, watching Callum Chambers run, that, <laughs> <laughs> I was watching him chasing back. There's a certain treacly quality about it, I felt. I was going, who is that? Is that meant to be some sort of athlete chasing them back? I, Amy, you've got this look on your face like, oh no, poor Callum. But honestly, I mean, we've had him quite a long time now. He hasn't quite stepped up, has he? He doesn't like playing right back. No. And if you'd have, you know, put... Uh, Steve Bold at right back, I don't know, maybe a bad example, um, mm. yeah, for a long period of time. It, against the tricky, fast winger, he had he got really badly burnt, Callum Chambers, when he played right back against, was it Jefferson Montero? Jefferson Montero. Swansea, yes. A year yeah. or so ago. Yes. And I think he walked off that pitch and thought, I don't want to do that ever again. You know, it's just, he's it, it, so out of his comfort zone there. And, you know, here he is. A couple of years or so down the line, still being still shoved out to, to fill in at right back, and well, and, and I, I do think there's an element of putting someone in in a place where they where they don't want to be, and and you know that that's where they might look like they're running through treacle. I mean, Lee Dixon last week in in what I felt was a poetic mm. and beautiful rant about our defending. I mean, it was really something. I, I asked a mate, I said, "Do you listen to it?" He goes, "Oh, ten minutes. I was suicidal." <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, Lee Dixon in that rant, one of the things he was talking about was Ainsley Maitland-Niles playing out there against Watford, and how he was exposed and exposed, and, and Lee is watching it, going, "What is going on?" What? We don't seem to learn the lessons. No, and Ainsley Maitland-Niles sort of put his hands up publicly and said, "I don't want to play right back anymore." Callum Chambers, you know, has essentially done the same. So. Well, I guess the conclusion is we need Hector Bellerin to come back better than ever and very, very quickly. And yes, I, th- I would say that's true. I wanted to ask more about this sort of relationship with the fans. I mean, I asked Anders about that. Um, I, I think it's in a better place now that Unai Emery's gone. I think uh, nobody wanted Unai Emery there. Even Unai Emery looked like he'd had enough, didn't he, really? There was a certain point after mm. the Frankfurt game and he thought, oh no, put him out of his misery, you know? And I just felt enough now. And the fans, they weren't turning up. We talked about this on the phone, Amy, the apathy. Apathy at a football club is a killer. And what, I don't know how many people turned up at the Frankfurt game. I saw a picture 25 minutes before, there was about 15 people in the ground. That includes the stewards and the players. <laughs> when I walked towards the ground, there was one guy going up to uh, one of the entrances and I actually counted 20 stewards for one person. What's interesting, though, is that I think a lot of people had circled this game on Thursday night against Brighton at home, a non-Europa League game on a Thursday night, cheers, lads, as being one potentially that was going to be a, a really embarrassingly low crowd, mm. and and not now. Uh, and what a difference a week makes in the sense that between the Frankfurt game, which was Unai's last match, 
and what will be Freddie's first home match. Uh, I think tickets are hot now and I would expect that stadium on, on Thursday night to be very full, very warm, very welcoming, which is, you know, it's been a while since it's been like that, probably since the very last days in the farewell of, of Arsene, apart from maybe the odd moment. of There was goodwill at the beginning, of course, towards Unai Emery, but it feels like quite a long time ago now. So I think that... One of the things Freddie is very conscious of is this sense that he wants to make sure that people feel connected. And he's aware of it and he wants it to happen because he knows how good it is. I mean, from personal experience, this is not someone walking into a club thinking, I want to get a good connection between the fan base and the uh, and the players and the, and the club and, and, and me. This is someone who... Knows who yeah. Deep inside his soul, knows what it's like to walk out and have to, have to f- get lumps kicked out of you at Old Trafford to try and win the league, or go to White Hart Lane and, and go to difficult places or have difficult experiences and know how it is to have the fans on your side. Which mostly they, it was very you know positive atmosphere. Oh, obviously mm. during a golden era when mm. he was playing, great team, and it's just such a hard thing for him to recreate. But he doesn't half want to and. I think he will be trying to... I mean, I thought even the fact he wore sort of bright red shoes, like it was sort of an echo of the... He can't do the red hair anymore. So no. It wouldn't look great. But uh, it, it was almost a sign of like, look, this is this is me. This is what we're about with our, our, person, our Arsenal personality. Literally, I heard it was about 27 seconds on the clock at Norwich. The song. And his song was being belted out of the way yeah. end. And what was even better is that that <laughs> saved really quickly into fuck off Mourinho. And you thought, this feels like something about Arsenal coming back, something about how it yeah. should be. You love your manager, you can't stand the Tottenham manager. You know, it, not quite all as well in the world, but it's, it's what people want to feel when you go to football. You need to have that emotion and, and that connection. Was he underdressed, by the way? I mean, according to Paul Scholes, he should have worn uh, worn a suit and tie and all the rest of it. I've got to say, I'm not bothered. I think Freddie looks better <laughs> no. than most managers, doesn't he, on the sidelines, whatever he wears? Well, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, we all know that he was a Swedish underpants model, sure. right? Which is essentially the best-looking human you can be, right? If the Swedes pick you as an underpants model, there is no one better-looking than that, right? And he was, and I showed it to a few female friends of mine who went... Oh, yes, he's a good-looking manager. He doesn't look quite the same now, but even still. But what he wears on the touchline, what's it got to do with Paul Scholes? I completely agree. What has it got to do with him, who managed at Oldham for about, what, a week? Yeah, and to be honest, looks quite scruffy. Yeah, wasn't known for his sartorial elegance. He goes, Paul Scholes, there's a man who dresses well. No one's ever said that. I don't mind what Freddie wears. I'm not a big fan of sort of the Owen Coyle shorts look, you know, the sort of full kit. (laughs) take on the sideline. no line. need for that. No, 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 I don't like that. But Freddie, he can do what he wants. He, he certainly can. And in terms of fixing the uh, that relationship with the fans, you think it started already. And I guess a win would be nice against Brighton on Thursday night, wouldn't it? That would help as well because it's been eight now, isn't it? And I think enough's enough. Yeah, bit big time. It kind of almost reminds me, showing a bit of age here, do you remember... Um, Ian, a long, long time ago, there was a period under George Graham where Arsenal couldn't win for ages. I can't mm. remember exactly when it was, but when it finally was broken, it was Perry Groves who scored the goal. I remember being at Highbury and, and the North Bank singing the old Vera Lynn classic, like, we'll score again, don't know where, don't know. They didn't score for weeks on end. And then Perry Groves scored and it sort of got better. So maybe they need something, modern variation on that. Who's going to be the Perry Groves to score the winner against Brighton. Well, maybe Pepe. I mean, we started this conversation talking about Pepe. Maybe we should finish it talking about Pepe as well. I mean, I think he's shown some promise. He's got lots of nice little touches. And maybe Freddie just needs to find some way of playing him that suits his game a little bit more. 
I think so. I mean, I, I think Pepe's been a bit hard done by, to be honest. When you look at his actual contribution within games, I know he's not scored the goals from open play we might want to see, but he's dangerous on the ball. He beats his man. He finds space. I just think he needs his confidence. And, you know, Anders would have said the same. I'm sure as a wide player, a flair player, your confidence is so integral. If you're left out the side, left on the bench, not even getting off the bench, kids getting on instead of you, that is going to have a detrimental impact. So, to be honest, I'd love to see him come straight into the side on Thursday. Are we not going to talk about before we go we're not going to talk about who we're looking for long term because I was reading the paper on the way down here today and Pochettino has said he wants to go straight back into management I would have him in a heartbeat plus it would wind up Tottenham fans no end wouldn't it and Daniel Levy would his head would pop so Mm. I think that'd be quite funny so Campbell is his assistant (laughs) should we just leave that conversation for the moment and just see how Freddie goes and, and enjoy Having a legend in in charge of the club for once? I think we have to. I mean, apart from anything else, I'd be, well, pretty surprised if uh, the Football Executive Committee are organised enough and successful enough in their talks and negotiations to engineer a change very quickly. You know, it took a while last time and to an extent they're in the same situation where they have got a long list that they've got to whittle down and that because of the nature of the problem at the club, which is essentially exactly what it was 18 months ago, really, which is still trying to emerge from the Wenger legacy. The ideas of, of, of implementing a new um, personality or identity never really happened, obviously, under Unai Emery. So it's a bit much expecting Freddie to manage that, although he'll try manfully to do his best. So if we're looking for somebody to come in who can really be transformative, who can take hold of a quite ailing club with a dysfunctional squad and really engineer a kind of very positive steps in the right direction, change towards a new type of Arsenal. You've got to look at lots of different types of manager to do that because it's not like you can walk into the manager shop and say, oh, right, that's the the, the type of person we need. We only look at people like that because that's not realistic. Plus, in the middle of a season, you're slightly limited. You're operating with one hand behind the back. And I think the single biggest and most fascinating question really is whether or not the Arsenal board come to a conclusion that this is our person that we want, but they might not be available yet, but they might in the summer. And whether that influences, whether they let Freddie have it for potentially until summer or and then we whether they feel is. that they need to do something more quickly. And to an extent, that might be governed a little bit by how things go. Right Every now. time we have an elephant in the room, don't we? Every time we have a, a Brendan Rogers type elephant. Last week it was uh, um, uh, a Nunai Emery type elephant mm. in the room. Now it's Brendan Rogers, isn't it, really? Because that's who we're talking about, right? I, I mean... I- I think Brendan Rodgers is a fantastic coach. You know, I know some Arsenal fans haven't really taken to his personality and I can completely understand that. Well, he's having himself, isn't he? He's definitely having himself. But, you know, given that, I think Arsenal would really appeal to him. I think there's something about the the tradition of the club, the scale of the club that he would really like. His ego, they would love it. Of course he would. In the marble (laughs) halls, he'd love all that. I think he's a really good coach and he could really help this team. And when you look at that Leicester defence, it's the best defence in the Premier League. And it's not because they're necessarily the four best individual defenders. It's because the structure of the team, the way they keep the ball is so good and so effective. And I think if he could do something like that Arsenal, I'd, I'd be all for it. I would feel the same way. I did, by the way, we did in a, in a previous podcast that you might have known, uh, the Tuesday Club, we did do a whole episode in April 2018 saying, please God, anyone but Brendan Rodgers. <laughs> so we're feeling quite good about that at the moment. Okay, almost time to go. Uh, before we go, we uh, like to play out with the tune that perhaps best sums up the situation at Arsenal right now. Uh, any thoughts? 
I mean, for me, it's hard to look past Freddie's song, really, I Love You Baby. I mean, we'll be hearing it at the Emirates Stadium on Thursday, I've no doubt. It's got to be that. I can't wait to hear that. I mean, I genuinely can't wait because I remember the FA Cup final at Cardiff when Freddie got that goal and everyone singing it and it was... It was a joy. It was a genuine joy. So I'm voting for that as well. Uh, Amy, you're... There's not uh... much point in mentioning anything, so I think I'm <laughs> no, outnumbered. What you got? No, I mean, I, I, I did put a little playlist together for the trip to Norwich and uh, Miles Davis, Freddie Freeloader is just an amazing piece of music. But I think under the circumstances, let's go with uh, We Love You, Freddie. And, and well, we can use Freddy's Dead by Curtis Mayfield when it all ends, I guess. Uh, that is it for episode two of Handbrake Off. A special thanks to Anders Limpar for making the time today. We'll be back with our regular back four uh, with Lee Dixon next week. Uh, thank you to studio guests Amy Lawrence, James McNicholas and our producer Tyo. Thank you, Tyo. We'd like to hear from you. Drop us a line at handbreakoffpodcast at gmail.com with your thoughts and questions. You can also find us on Twitter at Ian D. Stone, at Amy Lawrence 71 or at Gunnerblog. This podcast is one of 11 shows recently launched by The Athletic in the past week. To hear this show and many more, don't forget to subscribe to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com now and use the promo code UKPOD for a 40% discount. Our show will also be available for free at all the usual podcast providers. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Listener.